Edgy talk. Plain talk. Unrivaled talk. Talk radio. The only radio show you can count on for a proper serving of good old-fashioned common sense. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio, the one place where you get honest-to-goodness reporting, where we care about what you think and where you get proper news. Not rumours, not conspiracies and not propaganda. And in these turbulent times, that is more important than ever. This morning, as you would expect, we will provide you with a panoply of information from multiple sources so that you can see exactly what is happening around the world, from Kiev to Santa Monica, from Moscow to Newcastle, and from Tokyo to Tehran. First up, we've got journalist and historian Mike Yardley on the conflict in Ukraine. As people start to discuss how the war ends, we'll get his take on the Putin problem. Whatever will become of Russia's president and how does he extricate himself from the Ukrainian quagmire? Rob Rinder will be reporting in once more from the Polish border as well with tales from the families who are fleeing their homes and heading for Western Europe. We'll also be asking why there is such a thirst for virtue signalling out there as 80,000 plus people crashed a refugee website yesterday offering their houses to the migrating peoples uh, of that far away land. We'll be checking in with TV host Martin Roberts. Can he explain what's been going on? Because he's arrived in Poland uh, with as much cowpaw presumably as he could carry in the back of his car. You might remember uh, he was nominated for Plank of the Week the other day uh, just because of the fact that he went to Costco uh, and was caught weeping in the car park because he couldn't find enough cowpaw. It's very nice that all these people are doing things for other people. It's very nice that 80,000 people have said they want to take a Ukrainian into their home. But do they really? Do they? Can they? Will they? Probably not. 0344 499 1000 is the number. Laura Dosworth is here too with her take on the big news of the week. Plus, what fuel poverty will actually mean for the people of this country, what that will look like. And she's got some things to say about misogyny in schools as well. As ever, of course, we need to hear from you. What are you seeing? What are you being told? And are you going to book an Easter holiday now that all the restrictions have been lifted? Very much under the cloak of darkness. It's almost as if Grant Shapps kind of slipped it in undercover uh, last night and said, oh, by the way, uh, forget about all those locator forms, those passenger forms, those tests that we used to do. It's all gone. Forget about it. You don't need to do it anymore. 0344 499 1000. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest growing radio station on the planet, now also available on television. It is Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, the place where we tell you what we know about what is going on, where we do entertain occasionally uh, the odd strange phone call from people who think that we're not doing it right, because that's what we quite happily do. However, if you do want to ring up and tell us that we're only telling one side of any story, uh, you will be completely wrong about all of that, because on Talk Radio what we do is we tell every side of every story, and whether you think that's true or not, It certainly is. I take very much pride in my profession. I've been a journalist for many years. I do what I do because I love doing it. And I do it very well and without any fear or favour. And I certainly don't favour one side over another. I certainly am not told what to say. I certainly do not punch out some kind of narrative that some people like. I can tell you that I know when I'm doing something right. When people say to me, you've gone soft on Boris Johnson. Why aren't you calling for him to be fired anymore? And then when somebody else says, oh, hang on a minute. I thought you liked Boris Johnson. I thought you wanted to keep him in. I thought you were on the payroll of the Tory party. Well, no, apparently not. 
And then when I start to tell stories about what's happening in Ukraine and people say, why don't you tell the context of that story? Well, I don't, because the context of the story is that Russia has invaded Ukraine and is blowing the hell out of various towns and cities in that part of the world. And people are fleeing for their lives, millions of them. So that's the narrative that I'm talking about. Now, we've we've talked about what happened in Ukraine before. We've had Peter Hitchens on this very show for years telling us his version of what he believes to be the historical reason why this is happening. So we do all of that. And we will continue to do all of that. So if you want to tell us that we're not doing our jobs right, you better have a decent argument and you better make a phone call now. 0344 499 1000. Let's talk to Mike Yardley, military historian, journalist, a man about town, a man about the world who's seen a thing or two. Mike, a very good morning to you. Yeah, good morning to you, Mike. You, you started off the programme really with very important stuff because people are confused. They get these competing narratives. They get people saying silly things online. There's a lot of active um, Russian bots and fake accounts trying to push propaganda lines. But on our own side, I think the coverage that I've seen both on the BBC and ITV has lacked depth sometimes. Often they're using the same footage, which irritates me, and it's not always been clearly labelled. As well as that, you look at the newspapers. One day, all of them have got the same picture of the woman with the bloodied face. The next day, they've all got the same picture of the guys on the bridge. Then the next day, they've got the picture of a little girl. So that disturbs me that we're not getting more variety. Yeah, I mean, that's easy enough to explain, Mike, from my point of view. You've been a journalist most of your life. You know how these things work. Picture desks in London in Fleet Street will tend to take the international feed from the war photographers who happen to be out there. And believe it or not, there's not that many of them. Um, And basically, people will use the accredited war photographers because they trust them. They know how they operate and they know how they work. And so quite often, that's why the same picture ends up on the same front pages. True, but I've been one of those war photographers in conflict, and I've also seen the process at work with TV. And I've also seen news desks, for example, in New York saying, have you any bang bang? This this is their product. And so we've got to go through all this competing information to try and work out what's happening. So let me give my stat at what's happening. Putin has invaded Ukraine because he's got this slightly obsessive weird idea about mother mother russia the you know the language the people the ground and he's playing to he's playing to his own home audience he's also got this idea possibly of expanding russia out towards some of its old borders and he's taken advantage of a situation and he's done something brutal now this is a dreadful thing that's going on and it's put the peace of the world at considerable risk So we saw a blitzkrieg campaign initially, and it didn't really work. I mean, if you ask any serious tactician, they'll say, no, this military campaign has stalled. Now, Putin's capable of using far more physical aggression. You know, you've only got to look at cities like um, Aleppo, where, you know, they were completely razed to the ground, essentially. But he can't do that so easily in the Ukraine, because the Russians have a great feeling for the Ukraine, and particularly for Kiev, which relates to the um, the Russian Orthodox faith. It's a holy city. So if he's seen to be, you know, destroying Kiev, he's not really been seen to do to be seen to be doing anything patriotic. Meantime, the Russians have developed these narratives. They've developed the narrative of chemical weapons recently. They've developed the, the narrative of neo-Nazis. So they're going in to cleanse the Ukraine of neo-Nazis. Are there any neo-Nazis in the Ukraine? Yes, a few. Were there any in the so-called Azov Battalion? Yes, it's not quite clear. These guys are sort of nationalist fundamentalists, and they are now in Maripol, where the fighting is going to get incredibly tough. 
Um, these guys are very tough guys. Whatever they may be, you wouldn't want to fight them. And there may be Chechen, Chechen mercenaries um, going in to oppose them. Yes. What is- but they've also got Nazis in Russia. They've also got Nazis in Hungary. They've also got Nazis in most Eastern European countries. There's probably one or two in Britain, to be honest. Yeah, indeed. And in the States, we, we've got a few. Yeah. Now, meantime, you, you, you hear a lot of things at the moment. You he- hear people calling, for example, for a no-fly zone. Well, that is a crazy idea. Yeah. Anyone who's studied NATO and strategy knows that as soon as we fire one shot upon the Russians or vice versa, that is the beginning of World War Three, and it can't happen. So when people like Zelensky call for a no-fly zone, I can only think that this is a negotiating position. What we're doing at the moment, which I think is probably the right course, is to give the Ukrainians things like NLAW anti-tank weapons, Javelin anti-tank weapons, Star Streak, which is an anti-aircraft system. These are effective systems. Mm. It would appear that the Ukrainians are putting up a hell of a resistance, not necessarily a conventional resistance, but they are putting up a hell of a resistance. And a lot of the Russian forces have ground to a halt. The individual troops obviously are not nearly as motivated. They may not have even been given accurate information as to what they're doing. Mm. Um, And so from a military point of view, Putin's it between a rock and a hard place now because the campaign has not gone according. No, I mean, I've heard um, military sort of experts and you're more of that than I am say to me that the Russian approach has been very kind of 20th century, if you like, whereby, um, you know, they think they can roll tanks through cities and sort of take them over and occupy them. Whereas the new missiles and the new military kind of hardware that the Ukrainians have got from from us is actually quite good at taking that out of the game. Yeah, I mean, this, this is one reason probably why we backed off on our own armor, that the Russians still have a lot of armor. Roughly speaking, I think they've got something like 14,000 tanks. Um, the Ukrainians have um, have got 2,000 tanks on their, their home soil, just over that. We, for example, we used to have lots of tanks. I used to be in BOAR. Um, I think we've got a couple of hundred now, and I would guess probably a hundred of those work because tanks have already been taken out of the equation by modern warfare. But they have their uses, um, but they also have their weaknesses. And, you know, when we saw those pictures outside of Kiev of this long line of vehicles, um, all I thought there was targets. I mean, you know, they looked very, very vulnerable. And yeah. they, they did yeah. seem to, somebody talked about them fanning out. I think they probably were hit so bad that they probably did go off the road just to try and take cover from all these raiding parties of Ukrainians with um, light anti-tank weapons Mm. and and very, very high motivation, which is a a fearsome enemy. I mean, if you look at Kiev, for example, from a point of view of Putin as the invader, I don't think he can take Kiev. I think it's I I think it would be an impossible battle. Um, Mariupol's another matter. Um, But um, Putin has huge problems. So he has to decide now. This is the decision. Do I ramp up the war? And go along the, you know, go along the same lines as Syria um, or Chechnya, or do I start looking for a, an honourable way out of yes. this, possibly keeping some of the eastern territory? Um, I think that is most likely. But don't misunderstand how dangerous this is either, because what we're hit, witnessing now, this is history, and it could escalate. And I'm reminded of two things, and they both relate to the First World War. Firstly, the First World War was kicked off at Sarajevo with the assassination, but it was really because all the sides had tooled up. They were ready to have a war. And once it all started to 
to happen. Nobody could really stop it. It was beyond human control. Yeah. So yeah. I am worried of that factor. And the other factor I'm worried about at the moment is that we should be too hard in our sanctions against Russia and we should hurt the Russian people too much. That was the great error of Versailles after the Second World War, after the First World War, excuse me. We made the sanctions too draconian and it led to the Second World War. It created um, revolution in Germany. It had all sorts of negative problems. And it really was basically because the French, after the, the First World War, wanted just to have too much from the Germans. And, and it was a bad idea. So it's a question of balance. And I think at the moment, I'm not always a great favor of a, um, a great supporter of our political process and government, but I think they're doing about the right thing. As for the virtue signal, signaling you were talking about, people inviting um, Ukrainian families into their homes, well, good. I can remember during the Kosovo war, I started a charity and I took 300 tonnes of aid um, to Kosovo refugees, mm. 100 tonnes of it I took myself. And when I see people sort of setting off in transit vans with whatever they may be, the lesson I learned from those aid operations was, frankly, most of the aid never got to the right people. These little tiny amateur operations do no good at all. What people need is money. And that applies to the individuals coming across the border into Poland or wherever. And it, come, it applies to the big aid agencies that are trying to feed these people. So I think these individual efforts, although they make a good little package on regional TV, I don't really think they do much good other than perhaps at a, a psychological level. No, quite. Looking, looking at um, uh, what happens next, Mike, in terms of uh, obviously tactically, but also the settlement, if you like, whatever the settlement becomes, is there a danger of, of you know, creating something even worse post-Putin in the sense of a sort of Weimar Republic or in a sense of kind of, you know, uh, a rogue state which is, is really beyond the pale and can never come back? Yes, I think that is a very grave danger that you could destabilise Russia. One thing I have to say, and you will have had the same um, thoughts possibly, is when you see young Russians talking independently, they're very impressive people, as are the young Ukrainians I see talking. Yeah. These are sensible, well-educated people. They may, in Russia, have very poor government, um, but they are, you know, they are people that impress. I mean, Russia is a great country, but there is a grave danger that if we push the sanctions too hard, and bluntly, people in Russia won't be able to eat, you know, they won't be able to heat. They will die as a result of our sanctions. And, you know, you think back also to the Iraq war where, you know, unintentionally, probably a million people or so, we don't even know the full number died as a result of that. So, you know, you've got to get these things. You've got to have a delicate balance. But one thing I'm quite clear of is a no fly zone is a crazy idea. Mm. Um, you know, give the Ukrainians Star Street missiles, give them Javelin and Enlaw or whatever. But a no fly zone or aeroplanes that's just a dangerous escalation. What we need to do at the moment is try and tone it down as much as we can. And remember, we've had missiles fall six miles from the NATO border, six miles. One of those missiles drops into Poland and we're into a totally different deal. And that is a huge risk that Putin has taken even doing that. That brings us quite close to war, which is frightening. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. I just wanted to say, whilst I, I have you have you on the show, um, whatever happened to COVID? Because there's a lot of people like me <laughs> who, who are still struggling yes. with their side effects. I checked the numbers, by the way, before I came on air. Um, there were 732 fatal outcome reports to Pfizer, 1,240 um, to AstraZeneca, which 
seems to have disappeared as well. I don't hear anything of AstraZeneca being administered anymore. Um, and over a million um, reactions reported. This is all on the government's own website. If you go to AstraZeneca printout or Pfizer printout, you can see the government data for yourself, for the reports anyway. Um, and this has just disappeared. This is a subject that we don't hear about anymore, which is intriguing. Yes, it is intriguing, very intriguing. We'll come back to that in a moment. Stay where you are, Mike. Uh, we're talking to Mike Yardley. We're going to ask him about Iran as well. It looks as though they might be releasing uh, Nazarene uh, Zaghari Radcliffe at some point in the very near future as well. We'll get his view on that. Uh, we'll take your calls, of course, many of them coming in already. 0344 499 1000. This is Talk Radio. Voice of the people. The home of common sense. Solid state human debate on a digital platform. Radio that stands to reason. Listen and learn. Talk radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We're talking to Mike Yardley, military historian, journalist, of course, as well, a man who knows a thing or two about all sorts of parts of the world. Mike, we were talking just before the break there uh, about what's happened to COVID. It is remarkable that it has completely and utterly disappeared as if it was never there in a sort of puff of smoke, um, you know, just like it was an airborne virus that never was. I mean, it's very weird. But I tell you what has drawn my attention to Mr. Johnson this morning. Uh, he's written a piece in The Telegraph today saying the West made a terrible mistake relying on Putin for all that oil and gas. A day before he goes off to see Saudi Arabia, uh, who have just executed 81 people um, and who are now going to be our other main source of oil and gas. I mean, the world doesn't seem to turn much without it becoming incredibly sort of hypocritical, does it? It, it really doesn't. And it's weird because, I mean, I just got my new bill and my bill's going to go up to three and a half thousand pounds a year for a medium sized house mm. um, for, a lot for of gas. And it is for gas and electricity and over four thousand for rates. So more or less eight thousand a year right. just for rates and utility mm. bills. And, you know, for somebody, somebody on a middle income, that's really going to cause you to struggle. For somebody on a low income, that is terrifying. And how have we got to this situation? We allowed the Green Lobby really to, um, particularly in Germany, but where they pushed and pushed and pushed, they closed down all the nuclear power stations to the huge strategic advantage of the Russians, because Germany then and Europe became dependent um, on Russian energy in a way that it didn't necessarily have to be. Mm. Um, now we're seeing arguments reopening for, you know, should we be fracking and doing all of this stuff? Well, we probably should. I think every country should be self-sufficient in energy, food, and armaments, yeah. um, particularly Britain. So that, that is a, an interesting deal. And as for the um, disappearance of COVID, it is remarkable. I mean, I'm still in touch with an awful lot of people who are suffering um, from side effects from the mm. vaccine. Um, but there are lots of interesting subjects. I mean, we don't hear about um, why AstraZeneca doesn't appear to be used much anymore. Is, is that because there were problems and now... They're sort of acknowledged, but they're acknowledged in secret. I mean, we should be, you know, we should have open discussion about this stuff. But what seems to have stopped is the propaganda. Yeah. So, you yeah. know, you must go out, you must get jabbed, you must do this, you must do that. Here's my question. Why don't we ask our powers that be, what about Sweden? Sweden has managed better than us, and they didn't have um, the sort of lockdowns that we had, and they've had less mortality overall um, than we've had without the colossal financial financial expenditure and dislocation of lockdown. Um, so, you know, come on, boys, explain. Why did you do that to mm. us? Because it didn't work. It didn't it didn't help us. And it has, you know, really 
mortgage the futures of all our kids and their kids because of the vast amounts of money that was spent. So, yeah. Yeah. Listen, well, I'm, I'm certainly not letting it go because the inquiry is still yet to be held. And whenever it is held, I think we'll be able to focus back on that again. And I guess at the moment we're just all a bit distracted by by other matters. But let me finish up with um, the Nazarene Zagari Ratcliffe situation. Supposedly news coming out of Tehran today that uh, she's been given a passport back. There's meant to be some kind of British negotiating team in place. Um is this significant to you uh, if she does get released? Does it, does it signal something or is it just the end of another story um, that we've been following for a long time? Well, this poor woman, let's hope she does get out because she's had she's had to suffer. Her family have had to suffer. So um, let's also note that this is another government that keeps killing its own people. That yeah. they, they execute um, vast numbers of their own citizens. Um, and they are the victim themselves, and they brought it upon themselves of sanctions, and they'd like to get out of those sanctions. I think we all now want to try and get the world working properly again. And, you know, if she did does get out and we can improve relations, great. Um, meantime, just going back to the Russian situation, very interesting, um, talking to Ukrainians, and I have some good Ukrainian friends. In fact, I was brought up with some Ukrainians in London. Um, a lot of them think that they're between Putin and the globalists now. We don't often hear that, um, but that's the position um, that a lot of Ukrainians feel themselves. Meantime, there's this interesting deal of the FSB, the um, successor to the KGB. Seemingly, there's some dissent within the FSB about the war. Um, we've seen those um, senior members arrested. So that's a fascinating deal. Putin himself must be in a very awkward position now. Um, if he doesn't get it right... He doesn't survive. So he's literally playing for his life. Mm. So let's hope that will lead him to some sort of compromise. It all depends really on how sane he is. I think he probably is still rational, although I think he is obsessive about this concept of Mother Russia, if you want to call it that. Um, and that is worrying um, when you've got effectively, let's hope not literally, his hand on the button. Um, meantime, for all of us, I say to people, because so many people are confused by all this stuff. Do, do multi-source. Don't just take anybody's word for it. Multi-source. But do be aware, particularly online, I've noticed, there are what I will call would call enemy assets trying to bend your head towards their line. I mean, these are narratives which are created sometimes and which are often 95% fictitious, but with a few little truths sprinkled into them to make them more credible. And that's happened both on the chemical weapons deal and it's happened on the idea that um, there's a Nazi government, for example, yeah. in Ukraine, which, of course, is complete nonsense created um, to justify a brutal aggression of Ukraine. Um, but the other thing is that it is worrying because this is a situation that could still escalate. So we must pray that it doesn't. We must pray that these negotiations, which seem to be showing, you know, um, some progress, um, that that continues. And then we must do our best to try and put the world into a better place because this situation happened partly maybe because of foolish strategic policy um, by the West. Perhaps we, sh we shouldn't have pushed NATO so far with those border states, but they wanted it because they wanted security from Russia. Um, but we've, we've got to put the world onto a better footing because otherwise there's not going to be a world soon. Yeah, no, it's very well said. Mike, good to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed for your time. Mike Yardley there, military historian, uh, with his message for the world, which is that we need to do better effectively. We should do better. We can do better. There's no question about it. But that doesn't involve necessarily killing more people, does it?
This is Talk Radio. Let's get some news headlines. Quick talk. Fast talk. Street talk. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Radio you can believe in. Mike Graham. Speaking common sense unto the nation. On Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Fascinating first hour. It's the one place, of course, where you get honest-to-goodness reporting, where we care about what you think and where you get proper news. Not rumours, not conspiracies and certainly not propaganda of any kind whatsoever. And in these turbulent times, that is more important than ever. Mike Yardley was on this morning talking very, very interestingly about the future, what it holds for Vladimir Putin, what it holds uh, for the Russian government and indeed for the Russian people because we will be bringing you all sorts of news and views over the course of this show and throughout the course of the day as well. Uh, all the views from Kiev to Santa Monica, from Moscow to Newcastle, uh, and of course from Poland and the border of Poland, where Rob Rinder's going to report into us from in a moment, uh, all the way back uh, to Bridgewater here uh, in Somerset. First up, of course, Rob Rinder will be reporting in uh, from Przemyśl, uh, which is where he was yesterday, watching as many, many people came off trains hoping for a brighter future in Western Europe, albeit for a few weeks and possibly months so that they can get some respite from the bombing, from the attacking that the Russians are doing. Uh, we'll also be uh, taking your calls as well, of course, 0344 499 1000. Extraordinary outpouring of enthusiasm from the British public. 80-odd thousand people now have apparently signed up on the petition uh, on the uh, website to house a, a Ukrainian refugee. Far more people than there are refugees, actually, at this particular moment in time. But we'll find out how things are with Rob very, very shortly. Coming up later on, Laura Dobsworth is going to be here as well. We'll get her view on the fuel poverty situation, uh, on how it is got to this point where people are having to choose whether to eat uh, or whether uh, to heat. And, of course, some people even thinking it might be cheaper at Easter time to go on holiday than it will be to stay in their own homes as well. Martin Roberts is going to join us too. Uh, he's out there in Poland with uh, a whole shipment of stuff that he picked up uh, in the local Costco's here in North London. Uh, we'll be talking to him as well. 0344 499 1000. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Let's cross right now, without further ado, to Rob Rinder, Talk Radio's very own uh, drive time presenter on a Friday. He's in Przemysl, uh, in uh, Poland, just on the border there. Uh, Rob, very good morning to you. Morning, Mike. Uh, you know, it's been really great listening to you. I, I could hear your response to that uh, last caller, and, you know, it was a privilege for you to, to, to speak up for truth. And, um, you know, many people understandably where they get their news through Twitter, through social media, through uh, the prism of conspiracy theory and so on and so forth. And many of whom have got legitimate gripes uh, with government information over the years, perhaps have allowed themselves to go down those black holes into misinformation. Well, it's really important exactly as you articulately expressed to get the news on the ground and I can tell your listeners to the independent republic of Mike Graham that where I'm standing here, Chemichel train station, that there is a reality and that reality is that the trains that arrive infrequently are full of refugees, women and children who are fleeing Ukraine for their lives mm. and they're looking uh, for sanctuary. Some, some of them, are perhaps looking to come to the UK and the good news, and I think it's important we speak this up, Mike, now more than ever, um, are, are, are wanting to come to our great country. You can hear the sounds of the trains in the background. 
and there are at least so far 50,000 people who have responded to that call to offer their homes. The problem is that the paperwork required to get the relevant visas are a complete nightmare. I'm going to speak, in, I hope you don't mind, not in the language of a reporter, but as somebody that you know, is the grandson of a refugee trying to imagine what it would be like arriving here, needing to get what I needed, basically the relevant tick, relevant paperwork, before I could go to one of the families that are prepared, willing and able to sponsor me. And just very quickly, what happens is when you leave the station, you go to a great big building with the Ukrainian flag on it, uh, and it uh, says it is a welcome center. Every country has its flag there. Um, there are lots of them, France and Germany and Spain and Italy. There's no British flag there as it currently stands. The law is very opaque. There's a 50-page form. You've got to go two hours to a centre that might or might not be able to help you. That's how difficult it is. Now, my question is this. Bearing in mind how grateful the Ukrainian people are for the help of arms and various military help that have been given over the years, and especially in the last few months to the Ukrainian people, Zelensky saying, God save the Queen. We can be proud of that, but we cannot be proud of not allowing the British public to deliver on the promises that they have made, the promises to mm. gift them their homes. Yeah. So the point making a promise if the government's making it impossible to deliver on it. Well, the other confusing thing for me, Rob, is that apparently people can only nominate named individuals that they can have stay in their homes. So right. uh, effectively, unless you're a family member, you can't really do it. So, I mean, it's very confusing, right. I would imagine. And people also still very angry here about the fact that, you know, we should be making um, places available like hotels, but we can't make those available because they're already full of people who have come illegally, who we have failed to stop and who we are continuing to pay five right. million pounds a day for. <laughs> Well, um, you know, uh, again, what you're talking about is something very important, which is perhaps this. Uh, there is a real held scepticism across the country, many from communities who are tired of being called um, racist. Yeah. They're the least resourced. And um, their frustration, um, and whatever your sympathies are, their frustrations need to be heard and listened to. And uh, really what they are about are people who are seeking not protection but economic migration yeah. there is a huge and profound and clear and self-evident difference between that than the people who are arriving here and by people i mean women and children yeah. because as your listeners and you know um the ukrainian men are back fighting bravely for their country um they can't leave uh, that country and all of the women and children that you speak to here that have ever said anything, make it clear that wherever they go, it's only temporary. They mm. want to get back to their brothers, to their dads, and in many cases to their sons, Mike. Yes, exactly right. And I'm not, look, I'm not asking people to choose between one kind of immigration and another kind of immigration. All I'm saying is, is that because we have been so um, unable to, to stem this problem, people have just run out of rope mm. for a lot of it, you know? And I mean, I would love if we could in, import as many of the Ukrainian refugees who want to come to Britain as possible and put them all up in the same hotels that are currently occupied, but we can't because there simply isn't room. Right, but my answer to that question is, is that, yes, you, you may be right, you and I might sit over a pint and disagree about that, but that, if I may say, is not necessarily the critical point here. We'd actually need those hotels. Here's the great thing about it, and uh, I can't say now more than ever how much I love talking up the great British public. I've been accused of not doing that. 
Listen, Mike, at the border y yesterday, right, I saw ex-British servicemen, I saw ambulancemen, firemen. Um, I, I, I saw uh, uh, people who had driven for 30 hours to come and deliver aid to Ukrainians walking across the mm. border. Those are the same 50,000 people that have signed up to the government scheme to give a room to, to these people. And by the way, none of them are interested in the money. And, and, and much more importantly, and it's always worth remembering this, when you look at who those people are that are offering the spaces in their homes, you know, I hate this language of privilege, but let's call it what it is. It's usually the most put upon working class communities that are the first to answer that call, that are first to offer what limited hospitality they have. So, yes, there is an argument to be had about those hotels and no doubt in due course those discussions will have to take place. But as it currently stands, there are rooms available. All that needs to happen is the paperwork needs to be simplified, there needs to be admin on the ground to match up those people who want to do those things, who are great Britons, um, to give their rooms yeah. to Ukrainians who may For want sure. them. I mean, it's is not, there anyone? Is there anyone that you can deduce from from where you are standing, Rob, who's actually there from the Home Office? Is there anyone who's actually gone out there to help with the process? Well, we met a couple of Foreign Office workers um, at the border, and what they were doing was trying to assist anybody who may be British or have British connections as they were crossing the border. And, you know, by now, many of them have left, but even people with Ukrainian relatives are, are struggling with the process. Yeah. Today, I tweeted through a lawyer friend of mine just how difficult it is. And anybody that doubts me or thinks that I'm talking the UK administrative process down, you know, you try applying for tax credits. We've looked at the form. I speak a bit of Russian and our interpreter and fixer has looked at the form as well. We've tried to phone the embassy. And it's just extremely difficult. As mm. it currently stands, I haven't met anybody from the Home Office. But, you know, it, it is not beyond the skill of the Home Office to send people out here, right? They aren't under-resourced. They are not understaffed. The civil service just isn't. It seems to me if they could set up a desk at the various reception areas, here, for example, at Shemichel Station, and say, look, we'll help you out with the yeah. form. You don't have to worry about giving us a gas bill or getting in your mobile phone and making sure you've got reception, which is in and out. Simple, simple stuff. Um, it seems to me it could be resolved with a bit of practical help and management. And, you know, that ain't difficult for want of a better way of putting it. No, it really isn't. And I mean, I, I blame an awful lot of what goes wrong with our country, actually, not on the ordinary people of the country, but on the bleeding civil service. They're all working from home. Um, and they won't even go into Westminster, never mind go to Poland. So good luck with getting any of them out there. But that would solve it overnight, it would seem to me. <laughs> well, you know, um, I, I, I do echo that. Look, you know, there are some civil servants that work really hard. I've got to tell you, I used to be instructed by various government departments, uh, full disclosure. But the reality is that what I think people are a little bit sceptical about is whether or not there really is any intention for uh, Ukrainian refugees to, to, to come here at all. Mm. And what upsets me and should upset our listeners about it and should upset talk radio listeners about it and you and me and everybody is that here's the thing. When somebody's made a promise as a British person, it's, if you like, a kind of thread that's woven itself into the tapestry of our greatness over the years, that we deliver on the things we say we're going to do as a government, as a people and as communities. And when you've promised to give your room, when you've promised to give charity, when you've promised to give aid, not being able to do that because the government has prevented you from doing that really is indefensible. Mm.
Yes, Rob, listen, I don't uh, disagree with any of that. And uh, I wish you all the best for the rest of the day. We'll speak to you again, I'm sure, tomorrow. We'll hear from Rob Rinder live from Poland over the course of the day here at Talk Radio. Uh, what is wrong uh, with the civil service in this country? Can they do anything right? doesn't seem like it, does it? Uh, 0344-499-1000. More of your calls coming up. Plus, of course, we'll be talking to Laura Dodsworth. She'll be here next. Talk Radio. A new lineup for a new generation. Essential, edgy, engaging. Advanced postulation for any angry nation. Ask for it by name. Talk Radio, the home of common sense. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It's a feisty one once more again. Just hearing from Rob Rinder there on the border uh, between Poland and Ukraine. Still loads of people coming over the border, hoping um, against hope that they can find some kind of shelter somewhere in Western Europe. Some of it may well be in Britain, some of it may not. But at the moment, the way the situation is, is there's something like 80 odd thousand people supposedly have signed up saying they want to take a a Ukrainian refugee or two. Um, But apparently you have to nominate them by name. So I don't know how that's going to work. Laura Dodsworth is here with us. A very good morning to you. Good morning. Um, Hopefully to explain all manner of things about the connection between, you know, um, being nice, being good, offering something to somebody, doing it and or not doing it, and whether people can even afford to do it. I've been Mm. saying for the last two days, I don't think most people can afford to take somebody into their house, even if they say they want to. Yeah, you're talking about the plan to um, bring Ukrainian refugees into people's homes and they'll be paid £350 a month to host them. Yes. Yeah, it's interesting. I was talking to um, to my boyfriend about this last night, and he was, you know, he was saying it's a really great thing to do, and I agree, it is. It's really laudable. I mean, from my point of view, I'd have a spare bedroom. <laughs> There's nowhere to put somebody. Right. Um, and I, I, mean, I was I was running through a litany with my boyfriend of how much my costs are going up this year. Yeah. Um, heating is going to cost double what it did last year. Council tax is up fuel is up food is getting more expensive and i think that that 350 pounds won't touch the sides for for most people of course no. there's a lot of other problems you know with well, this we've you been know, highlighting they come, this. how long will they be there for yeah, will they exactly. be there for a month or three years and also what if there's a, a mother and two or three children and you can only take one or mm. you can only take two you know are you supposed to split families up is that how it's going to work or uh, do they become tenants is your insurance affected is your council tax affected i mean there are many many complications to all of this yeah well it's a, it's a beautiful aim and there's a lot of good heart at the at the center of it but there are obviously problems um the thing it really made me think about though is we are um you know the the focus in the media at the moment is on bringing ukrainian refugees into our homes yeah. Whereas actually, I think we have a looming and very serious crisis on the horizon, which is how we will heat our homes mm. this winter. Yeah. So according to the um, NEA, that's the National Energy Action Charity, about 10,000 people die every winter in the UK huh. due to cold homes. Right. I think that's, that's just sickening. Mm. It's appalling. We are a wealthy nation and there's no excuse for that kind of People should not be dying of, of hunger or cold in this country, should they? No, and they and they are. They've calculated those figures using excess death, and then the World Health Organization says that a percentage of excess deaths in the winter are due to cold homes and all the impacts it has on health. Because, you know, you don't have to imagine somebody with icicles dripping off them, freezing to death. It causes all kinds yeah. of physical and mental health problems. Also creates a burden on the National Health Service. Um, it's linked to suicide. I mean, you can imagine it'd be so miserable if you can't afford to heat your home. Mm. So this winter, there are going to be more people than ever choosing between heating and eating. And I 
just don't get why this isn't occupying more media time. Now, I know that the um, attention is understandably on the Ukraine. But if you think about it, for the last two years, we were told, don't kill granny, mm. don't kill granny, and do something if it just saves one life. Yes. Well, how many thousands of people will die because they can't afford to heat didn't their homes this winter? Didn't they use that great phrase, avoidable deaths? they used didn't they they said well yeah. because everyone said to them well people like me anyway would say well you can't stop people dying i'm afraid mm. you know you are not you know the, the the almighty you can't suddenly stop people from passing away to which the answer came back yes but we can avoid avoidable deaths meaning but, yes there are some deaths that you can stop well here's some that you can stop Right. Well, you you could. But the problem is that this isn't actually a short term problem and it's not an immediate problem. So one thing that really bothered me in the last week was seeing headlines saying that we should turn our thermostats down one degree to fight Putin. Now, let me tell you, I've already turned my thermostat down a degree and it wasn't to fight Putin. It's because I could not believe what my energy bill was in January. And did it make any difference? By turning it down one degree? Um, my, my energy was less in February. So the reason I'm turning my energy down is I simply won't be able to afford this oh. throughout a whole winter. Now, other people will be in worse financial positions than me and they won't even have the heating yeah. on. And like I said, I just don't think this is acceptable. Because also, let's not forget as well that it's not just heating. Sometimes it's hot water as well. And, you know, albeit that you probably could put on an extra jumper and you probably could put a blanket over you and you sit on the sofa, you still need hot water. Yeah, but that, it's not even enough for old people. I think about my mum who has the heating on a mm. lot, and it's not because she's some fragile little flower, it's because she's elderly. Also, when people get older, they can have a lower percentage of body fat, they've got mm. other health conditions, they need the heating on. Yeah. So the um, energy price cap rise is going to be 54% on the 1st of April. On top of price increases last October, we're talking about our fuel, this um, our energy costs this winter, being double what they were a year ago. Now, this is a, a huge increase, and we're just not talking talking about it enough. The problem is there's no quick fix. Yeah. Because while this is being blamed on Putin and Russia, actually it's because we haven't had a long-term strategy to energy. Right. What we're suffering from here is greenflation. Mm. Um, we haven't been investing in nuclear, in our own gas. And at the moment, you know, environmentalists are seizing on this as an opportunity to decarbonize and accelerate renewables. But renewables won't get us out of this. You see, no, we, don't enough have enough, of them. we don't have enough wind and solar no. in this country. And when they go down, what you have to do is take extra energy from the gas-fired mm. turbines, who, because they're idle more, will probably have to put their prices up more to generate a return. Essentially, electricity prices are somewhat driven by gas prices. Yes, they're all driven by the same basket, aren't they? So it doesn't matter what happens to electricity. If gas goes up, electricity goes up, effectively. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So the fact that we're being told to turn our thermostat down one degree for Putin, to thwart Putin, what is this really about? Well, some people might have a facile idea that this will actually beat Putin. Mm. It won't. No. And also you see at the moment a kind of a media angle on this where Boris Johnson's saying um, Putin's blackmailing us over energy. We've got ourselves into this yeah. mess where we're dependent on Russia for energy. Yeah. This isn't Putin's doing. This is our doing. It's our government's doing. Yeah. Although we're not as dependent as Germany is, for example. No, it could even be worse. Yeah, it could be a lot worse. But if, if turning down your thermostat isn't really about thwarting Putin, what it's about, well, I'm going to suggest, call me cynical, this is really behavioural science messaging. Yeah. We're turning down our thermostats anyway because it's expensive. So what this is going to do is give people the chance to feel good about yes. it. It's for the war effort. It's to beat Putin. Mm. We're doing our part. The thing There's is some that maniac in Sage has gone, 
get that Kitchener poster out, you know, your country needs you, you know, that thing. And let's use that as a kind of meme, effectively, even though you don't actually use it. But in their heads, that's what they're doing. That's what they're doing in your heads. Although, don't joke, Mike, because it might not be long, because last year's I wear my mask to protect you oh, yeah. could be I turn I run my heating at 18 degrees mm. to beat Putin. And it's I've got perfectly a, a feasible. couple of Ukrainians in the, in the loft. So it's to make you feel good about something you have to do anyway. I'm not going to say what. No. Anyway, <laughs> listen, um, we've got to stop for the news. <laughs> uh, we'll be back after this. A hollowed out volcano of common sense. Listen on your smart speaker. Watch it live on your smart TV. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Talk radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, right here on Talk Radio. We're having an editorial meeting in a moment ago with Laura Dunsworth. Uh, we, we're working out precisely how people are actually reacting to some of the news that's coming out, because I've been saying for the last few days, you know, um, we have to make sure that the Russian propaganda machine is not completely and utterly in, over, in overspin and overdrive and people are not buying into it. But by the same token, I also understand why some people think, well, the British propaganda machine and the Western propaganda machine was also in overdrive and it has been in overdrive. What I would say is that it's not in overdrive currently about Ukraine. There is no Western propaganda about Ukraine that I've detected. And one of the reasons I always say to people, look, I understand that you're falling for propaganda. It's my job not to fall for propaganda. It's my job to discern what is true and what is not true. That's my expertise in life because I'm a journalist and have been for a very long time. And so I can look at something and work out whether it's BS or not, frankly. And I know a lot of other people can't do that. Well, that actually, I have to disagree with you. There has been you. There has been pro-Ukraine propaganda. Where it's come from, I don't know. But you know, the case to Kiev, not you know, not not provable. The uh, the the Snake Island Signal Guard's not provable. Misattributed video and photo footage. So there's, there's propaganda. I'm on talking both about sides. Western propaganda, not propaganda propaganda. You know, okay. you can't say there's been Western propaganda because there hasn't been. Uh, no, 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 no. I mean, However, videos on Twitter don't count as far as I'm concerned. OK, so the thing is, I mean, there will probably be somebody who will tweet after this because I said that turning down your thermostat won't fight Putin. That yes. it's actually a little bit of messaging to make you feel good about the fact that you've got to turn your heating down because mm. it's so expensive. Somebody will say, Laurie, you're being pro-Putin, pro-Russia. The thing is, the surge in natural gas prices isn't just attributable to this war in Ukraine. We've no. got long-standing no, energy No, I mean, problems. the energy prices were going through the roof well before any of this happened yes they? and the war in ukraine provides dense cover for sweeping some of these long-standing problems under under a kind of a well you could call it a propaganda carpet here you know we're being told to turn down a heating to fight putin it's mm. not it's not really what it's about and the fact is that a bit like in lockdown the middle classes could come through it relatively unscathed yeah. and comfortable while the poorest and the most disadvantaged suffer the most mm. so just like this you know the middle classes can turn down their thermostat one degree and go look we're doing our bit we're doing our bit for yeah. the for the good for some the people goodies. don't even have a thermostat some people won't be able to run their heating yeah and so i think you know we we need to look to the the looming crisis in our in our own country and on that on the looming crisis and the ways out of this i mean like i said it's a long standing problem but we've got the um, chancellor's spring statement coming up on the 23rd of march oh, yeah. we absolutely need some short term relief that could be expanding the warm homes discount to more vulnerable households it could be removing green levies and well, not VAT putting up on national energy. insurance would be nice 
that's probably not going to be what happens, but it would be nice. You know, in um, Germany, the German government have removed, they're removing their renewables levies from mm. energy, yeah. which is going to provide, you know, really radical and swift release to which the German Which I've been asking for this government to do for quite a long time, actually. You know, months, yeah. actually, before the war even started. Well, you were prescient. You were absolutely right. So there are some immediate solutions that they could apply to help people out this winter. Mm. The Nudge Unit have run a survey asking if people will be prepared to pay for heat pumps. Hmm. When are they going to give up with this rubbish? I don't know. The laptop classes live in la-la land. According to the Nudge Unit, 25% of people would be prepared to spend about £10,000 on a heat pump Idiots. for the environment. This is just nonsense. It's moronic. They don't might, work. But somebody might have said that they'll consider it. But are you telling me that 25% of this country can afford a ten grand heat pump right now no. with the fastest cost in the the price of living because of inflation yeah. and quantitative easing mm. and rising energy costs that we've had since the 70s it's nonsense it's right. la it's la la land and it's not 25 percent of people anyway it'll be 25 percent of the people they asked right which will be no doubt some kind of you know virtue signaling part of putney where they went and asked a question in a pub or north know, london or gastro pub Putney's the new North London, by the way. Oh, is it? You know, yeah, it definitely is. Well, it's the only place Labour managed to gain a foothold, gained a new seat, one of the most expensive parts of Britain, by the way. And as I think it was Rod Little who said this, or maybe Jeremy Clarkson, you can always tell when you're in a Labour constituency because of all the Range Rovers. Yeah, that's true. And they're all madly wealthy because they don't have to worry about money. And right. they can afford to vote for Keir Starmer because they don't care what he does. So they can blithely say, yes, yes, I'll, I'll spend £10,000 on a heat pump. doesn't mean they will, but they, no. they can say that. And it's also quite disingenuous because mm. it doesn't take into account the extra insulation you need to put in your home and the fact that it no. won't work as well. And it will be more expensive to run because it uses all that electricity. They're much more expensive to run. The water temperature that it creates, a heat pump, is not in some ways hot enough for you to actually have a proper bath mm. because people that have got them have told me this. Um, it's ludicrously expensive. It doesn't save you any money. So why on earth would you do it unless yeah. you were a complete moron? Well, you've got money to burn, frankly, if you mm. do that at the moment this year. So it's totally out of touch. But now, having, um, having banged on about energy since I got here, I do want to say something about journalism in Russia. There's an amazing clip of a journalist. I'm not going to be able to say her name properly. Marina. Have a go. Must I? Of Sinakova. That's all right. Is it? Yeah. You say it. I haven't got it in front of me, otherwise I would. <laughs> of Sinakova. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. So she's an editor of um, Channel One, and what she did was run onto um, a news programme with a placard. Um, I think we have the clip, so got, we can maybe see it while we're talking about it. Fantastic. Um, she burst onto the set of Channel One with this placard that reads... I expect to see Robert Palmer in this, by the way. Do you know why? Why is that? Well, because remember that Addicted to Love video? Oh, yeah. She looks like one of the girls from Addicted to Love. Well, these, these Russian journalists are very, very beautiful, mm. it has to be said, so in, in that sense as well. Um, but her placard basically said, stop the war, don't believe the propaganda, yes. they're lying to you here. And I just want to do a shout-out for her, really, because that was such a brave thing mm. to do. You know, in Russia, a journalist that says the wrong thing, that reports on the wrong protest, that goes against the Kremlin, can be imprisoned, killed. 15 years, they can get, can't they? Yeah, now, so she faces three to 15 years for putting out misinformation, 
under the new laws that they have set up to prevent misinformation from being broadcast. Yeah. This is, of course, the danger with the government deciding what is and is not misinformation. Mm. Um, and she'll be joining, unfortunately, a, a long list of other journalists who have um, suffered similar fates in Russia. According to the Committee to Protect Journalists, 58 journalists have been killed in Russia since 92. This is where I take exception to people who say, oh, but, you know, you have to look at both sides of the argument. Well, you don't look at both sides of the argument when a, a man who is in charge of a country kidnaps and murders journalists. I'm sorry, that is not equitable with anything else that happens in any other country in the West. Absolutely not. As an example, if I'd written my book, A State of Fear, How the UK Weaponised Fear During the COVID-19 yeah. Pandemic, in Russia, mm. about the Russian approach, what You'd would have happened to me? You'd be in Siberia currently. I, if I'm if I'm alive, I'd be in a gulag in mm. in Siberia. Right. So of picking course, potatoes out of the ground. There's this huge difference, and we read, we need to really hang on, of course, to our values. So, you know, our freedom of speech. But I just want to say, what a brave woman! Yeah. What a brave woman! So she's been in custody since, according to reports that I've read. She hasn't seen a lawyer yet. She may not for a few weeks. Now, in theory, they shouldn't be arresting her because she's got small children mm -hmm. as well. She's not just done this at risk to herself, but to her family. Um, Zelensky has um, already praised her courage and you know this things like that though they can be turning points they could be they could be turning points for a nation mm. millions of people will have seen her do that in Russia yeah I think it would be an amazing um, stand if, if she does manage to get away with it and she does manage to return to normal society but you do worry that somebody like that may not well, the world's media are watching, but that doesn't mean anything, I no. don't think. I no. Don't, I don't think that means anything. Well, do you remember that guy that got assassinated on the bridge outside the Kremlin a few years ago? Um, and it turned out the CCTV didn't work, so they couldn't see who did it. And it turned out that he was an enemy of Putin's and a journalist. So you don't hold up too much hope. Meanwhile, back in the land of La La, down the road where Sadiq Khan hangs out, he's obsessed with misogyny. Oh, yes. Yeah. So he's, talk he's, um, he's said that schools need to teach children about misogyny yeah now i'm i'm as against misogyny misogyny as the next well, woman i mean surely, I, I can promise you i mean you can't really find anyone who's going to say they're pro-misogyny can you mm, no no one's going to say that no. there are some misogynists out there probably they're probably not going to admit it but i didn't i mean i didn't really have much respect for him saying this first of all um i'd love to know if sadiq Khan can actually define a woman. I don't want to hear him talk about misogyny if he can't define a woman. I mean, right now, I think at the moment we're all aware that politicians don't want to say what a woman is. Um, J.K. Rowling's being hounded. And, you know, unless Sadiq Khan's got the balls to say what a woman is, I don't think he's got a place saying that children should no. be taught about misogyny. Plus, while, you know... What's wrong with all these people in the Labour Party who can't define a woman, by the way? What are they frightened of? I have no respect for it, and I can't vote for a party. They that can't, can't say it, can they? If they can't handle that kind of basic question, then yeah. they are unvotable yeah. because they're mad, bad, or dangerous. They really it's are. Really not, you know, a toddler. Well, I think they're pathetic. I think they're pathetic. That's what I think they are because they're frightened of saying the wrong thing. And I mean, really, in this day and age, you're frightened of admitting that you know what a woman is while insulting everybody's adult intelligence. Mm. It's embarrassing. It's like asking somebody if you know what. Um, I don't know, an apple is. And you go, oh, well, I'm, you know, I, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole um, because obviously, you know, some people think it's a fruit and some people think it's not. And so I'm afraid I can't possibly tell you. I mean, that's what it's like. You're not far off. It is about that. Now, although, um, like I said, I'm as against misogyny as everyone else, I don't think that the latest ideology belongs in schools. 
now while we don't want people to grow up to be misogynist, schools should be places for education. Well, not, I said this not yesterday. Whatever the latest I really don't believe is. that young primary school children have a clue about people that hate women. And why should they be taught about that? Mm. You know, why should they be told there are people called misogynists who hate women? Yeah. What's that going to do to their developing brain? I've also seen a bit of a backlash to it in schools. So, um, something pre pandemic i used to go and give quite a lot of talks in schools about mm. my bare reality series and they're taught about toxic masculinity yes. i sensed quite a backlash in teenage boys and i really get it to be told that masculinity is toxic even though that's not quite the meaning they're in but inferring. it kind of is what they want to say though isn't it? it doesn't it doesn't feel good for them no it doesn't feel good to beat boys and teenage boys around this, the head with this idea that they're inherently bad and yeah so I feel cautious about it. And like I said, unless, unless Sadiq Khan's got the balls to say what a woman is, no. I think he can just keep quiet on the subject, thanks. I think that would be good on, on all subjects, frankly, for Sadiq Khan. Just get on with the job um, and stop wasting our money. Thank you very much indeed, Laura Dosworth. A pleasure, as ever. Uh, we will speak to Laura next week. We will speak to more of you coming up next. This is Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. With the self-appointed revolutionary of reason, Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. Good afternoon and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio, the one place where you get honest-to-goodness reporting, where we care about what you think and where you get proper news, not rumours, not conspiracies and not propaganda. We bring you the truth as it happens, when it happens, where it happens, wherever it happens. And you know that this is the one place that you can trust because you've been telling us all morning that this is the one place that you can trust. And so... Uh, I rest my case, ladies and gentlemen. Coming up in this hour, uh, we're going to be taking loads more of your calls, 0344 499 1000. We've had Laura Dosworth in talking about heating uh, or eating. She's also been talking about the misogyny lessons that Sadiq Khan wants to teach in primary schools. She thinks he should uh, shut it, basically, and not bother. Uh, we've also been talking about people who want to bring Ukrainian refugees into their homes. There's about 90,000 of them now. Uh, most of them will never see uh, any Ukrainians in their homes. Lots of other people are going out to Ukraine to help out uh, with the effort. We're going to be speaking to Martin Roberts very shortly from a secret location. He's on a mercy dash uh, to help those in need uh, over by uh, the Poland-Ukraine border. He's going to be telling us what he's doing there, where he's going uh, and what exactly he's hoping to achieve. Because, of course, we saw him last week uh, outside of a Costco trying to get Calpol, trying to get lots of medical supplies to take out there. Many people say that the situation in parts of Ukraine is quite dangerous. You shouldn't go uh, unless you're absolutely certain of what you are doing and who you are going to be helping out. 0344 499 1000 is the number to call. Uh, we will take loads of your calls and we will be talking about a great many things. Coming up on the fastest growing radio station on the planet, it is of course Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now let us without further ado go straight over to Martin Roberts. As I say in a secret location, he doesn't want to tell us precisely where he is. Martin, a very good afternoon to you. Hello. <laughs> How are you doing? Now, listen, first of all, I want to thank you for being uh, in such good spirits and for being such a good sport when we put you on Plank of the Week last week because, I mean, it was done not with any, any malice or forethought. We, we call it Planks <laughs> because it's for, it's for people that we sort of think have given us a bit of a laugh during the course of the week. 
Mate, if people say the piss out of me and it's in a funny way and not in a hateful way, I think it's hysterical. Well, it I is. Know. It is. And also, it draws attention. Because it... you took a situation and you, you, you kind of mangled it in a wrong kind of way. You, focused, <laughs> you, you made that like I was crying because I couldn't buy carpool, which, of course, I do every day. You know, I go to shop and they won't send me carpool. I'm like, it floods it in. No, you know, yeah, you kind of missed the point, but you know you missed the point. And I know that you know missed the, you missed the point, but it was funny. So for that, I forgive you. So I took the accolade and go, you know, I haven't had many uh, in, in all the time I've been in Homes from the Hammer. We've never received one award. So I will take that personal award and I shall put it on my shelf Top uh, man. Uh, in pride of place. Excellent, excellent news. And also what it did do as well was draw attention to the fact that you are actually doing something, uh, which is very admirable. And you've now sort of taken that one step further because all the stuff that you did buy, notwithstanding the cowpole problem, you've now taken into a car and you've driven it for miles. I know you're a bit sensitive about where you where you, where you want to say you are, um, but uh, I was looking at a bit of a, an earlier a shot of you on Lorraine's show this morning. So you've taken it a long way, haven't you? Where, I mean, where, can you tell us kind of roughly where you've yeah, been? So I, le- I, left, uh, I, I, I was contacted by some people who run a charity called... It's not actually a charity, because it was only set up like 10 days ago, called U- Bournemouth to Ukraine, or Help from Bournemouth to Ukraine. Right. And they got in contact with me um, after I after this, this stuff, the thing outside Carpool, uh, the, the stuff outside Costco went, went viral. And they said, you know, come and look at our operation. We've got lots of stuff here which has been donated. And this has gone, it's just a classic example. And why I was crying outside Costco is the generosity of people. Complete strangers get bought these the bottles of copper, copper I couldn't buy. Mm. Um, and that's what made me cry. It's just like if you give people an opportunity to be kind, that 99% of people are. Yes. So, so they're finding thousands and thousands and thousands of donations coming in. And they've been, they've been given a huge, great warehouse. And they said, that, you know, what we need to do is we need to get this stuff into UK. And they've got lots of big trucks and everything going down there. But there's, there's lots of really high value, uh, you know, low volume stuff like um, medical supplies, mm. defibrillators, um, fetal heart rate monitors, you know, all this kind of stuff, which is extremely valuable, which you probably don't want to put on with a, you know, on a pallet with a load of pampers. Mm. Um, so they, I've got a VW van. So literally, for no other reason than I've got a VW van, I'm a man with a van. I've been so upset by this whole thing um, that I just thought, now I've been presented with this as an option, I've just got to go and do it. Yeah. So, so have you, I, have you no, just driven all the way across Europe on your own then? Yeah, pretty much. Wow. Because <laughs> most people would have taken like a co-driver with them just to, in case you fall asleep. <laughs> Look, if you had a lot of time to plan this, you probably would. But I was, I was given eight hours notice that I was going to set off in my van because there was a, there was a convoy mm. which went down there. So I was with a, another, another truck and we, we sort of, uh, we tried to keep up together, but we got a bit lost and, oh. and we sort of got a bit separated. But, um, and are you I, sleeping uh, in the van as well? So I was, I, you know what? I'm, I'm 58, mate. I, 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 I can't do that whole uh, driving through the night thing. So um, after I've eaten the fourth packet of uh, wine gums and and the second bottle of Red Bull, and it still wasn't keeping me awake, <laughs> I, uh, I pulled into some uh, some hotel on the right. side of the motorway somewhere because yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't want to kill myself. No, you so, don't. You so really don't. But yeah, but but I, I, you know, I made it and I got it and um, and yesterday I was, I was, I was, um, you know, at the border. Wow. Um, and, and, and actually, you know, one of the big things I wanted to check, okay, because there's lots of people out there saying, you know, do donations you give. Yes. You know, do, 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 do the, does the kind of tin of dog food, does the, you know, does the, the baby nappy, does the, um, the, the medical kit, or whatever it is you donate, does it actually get to where it's supposed to get to? And there's, there's people who say it doesn't and whatever. Um, and I, so I wanted to find out for myself, right? Um, and so 
I drove down there because and I, I, it was to where the the people from the Bournemouth helped help from from Bournemouth to Ukraine send their stuff. Yes, and and I met up and with the people where it goes to, and I actually handed physically handed the stuff that I delivered, mm. the high volume, stuff. the high so volume was, stuff. Well, you're not worried that was going to get nicked on the way. Yeah, that's why I'm really sensitive about security. Yes. Um, you know, I, I vans full of £100,000 worth of medical equipment right. at a time when, you know, things, it's a war zone, and it genuinely is, even though I wasn't on the Ukraine side and didn't go to the Ukraine side. Right. Um, I, lo- I was going to go at one point, but then the guy from Lviv said he could meet me um, on, um, you know, on the Polish side. And so I sort of made that decision that that was the right thing to do. Yes. Um, and, and, and actually, because I could physically hand him the staff, right. I, hand, I handed him the defibrillators, I handed him uh, the, the, the surgical equipment, I handed him the, the forceps and, the, and the, you know, the bandages and the heart defab right. and all that kind of stuff. So I actually got it. That it got and how did, you, how did you know him? How did you hook up? with him so he was actually a contact from the help from uh, help from uh, Bournemouth to Ukraine. oh I see okay so, right. so, and he's based in Lviv so he was he was a, he was a well-known contact because there are some there are some horrible stories of, of people pretending to be people who will pass on aid and then they take it and sell it on the black market or whatever right. so you do have to be careful so I think my advice to anyone who's 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 got a big heart and just thinks I just want to get in my bloody you know my van and I'm going to drive down there is 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 Bravo, but do it in 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 the protection or with the support of you know an organisation who do have people on the ground. Because I wouldn't have wanted to go there and just rock up in Medica, which is right on the border. Literally, I was last, I was I was actually on the border with Ukraine, and and there is this little shanty town where you know people come in off literally they're coming through the border and then they're funneled onto buses and they're taken to like the holding center so earlier on in the day i went to a, a refugee holding center yes and i and i saw the sort of the operation there which was amazing that was also a distribution center for for larger volume stuff that comes through from you know from from other parts of europe and the uk and literally comes in there gets redistributed a bit like an amazon warehouse and then passed on to trucks which are taking it around poland and also into ukraine um, but I, 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 so I was shown around there by these people. I met these people, you know, who, who came from, from uh, the, the Bournemouth Ukraine charity. And I, was, I, was, and I knew that what I was doing was then going to the right hands. So I think you do need, it's, you know, there's no reason to stop you doing it. And, you know, uh, it's, a, it's, a very, it's a very brave and, and, a, and, a, and, a, and a kind thing to want to do. And I understand the frustration. Because, look, you know, that whole Costco thing started because I just woke up that morning and it was like, what the blooming heck can I do? I feel yeah. so frustrated. I feel so helpless. So people, I know, wake up and feel that. So, but do, to, so channel that enthusiasm, but through, a, 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 mm. you know, an organisation that leads... I mean, it's kind of ironic, it. isn't it? The one thing you want in Costco that they can't sell you in bulk because everything else you can get by the, by the million. <laughs> You know, you have 58,000 cans of coffee. I know, I know, but there's this whole paracetamol thing, and that's obviously been been, been introduced for good reasons, you know, to not, stop making it easy for people to buy enough stuff to commit suicide. So I get that, I understand that. The frustration at the moment, when I'm at the, at the checkout, and I go, you know, I've got like 50 bottles of cardboard, and they go, you can't buy them. I go, well, you know, I'm obviously not doing this to go off into the car park and, you know, do something weird or whatever. I'm, <laughs> you know, I told them what I was doing, and, you know, and, and it was like, no, you still can't do it. I'm off chills. So I, can, I didn't, you know, I was just frustrated. And I know. People that side of me heard my frustration, and they said, "We'll take four bottles through for you." Right. And then somebody else. Is it the same in every other country? Because I mean, maybe on the way out there, you could have picked up a load more in France or something. 
Oh, with eight, more than eight hours to think about it? I might have thought about that, but you know what? I didn't. <laughs> oh, well, listen, never mind. That's a very but, good point. Yeah. Maybe supermarkets on the way down. That's are you bringing, are you bringing, are you bringing anything back, Martin? Oh, uh, maybe a bottle of vodka. There's some great know. Polish. There's a there's a Polish drink which is fantastic. It's a sort of uh, it's a red sort of cherry liqueur. I can't remember what it's called, but it's the only you can only get it in Poland. Yeah, there's also something called um, what's it called? There's a, there's a vodka which is um, it's called bison vodka. Oh yeah, and it contains a blade of grass. And in order for it to be proper bison vodka, uh, you have to assume that the grass has, the grass has been weed on by a bison. I see. I, I, I forgot what it's called. Yeah, it tastes <laughs> quite nice, apparently. Anyway, <laughs> well there we are. But I mean, as far as what you're seeing as well in, on your travels, I mean, are you seeing a, a lot of hardship? Are you seeing a lot of uh, things that that are upsetting? So I went actually to one of the, the centres, like the, 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 the refugee centre, mm. and um, it's like um, a huge, the one I went to is like a huge, great sports hall, mm. um, you know, the, the, a massive sports hall, and there are just literally camp beds with no space in between them, just filling the whole thing. And they families and children, and, you know, the one I went to is specifically for families with younger children. So there's just the, but the kids are being kids, you know, the kids don't know what's going on. They're trying to make sense of something which even adults, mm. any adult can't make sense of. No. So these kids are just doing what kids do. So they're trying to play. There was a little play area. So I got to give some toys to the kids in that. I gave it, I've got a young, I can't talk about this without crying. It was a young lad who's the same age as my son. And I, he was just there, you know, lost everything, lost his, well, everything. Uh, but I'd taken a football. It's a pathetic little thing, right? So I gave him this football. And I'm going to try and find out his name for the people who, who were in there and uh, so I can track his progress. Because, mm. you know, um, I want to be sure he's all right. Yeah. I'm just trying to get on and trying to... Um, trying to just make sense and i think they're in i think the majority of people right now are in you know they're just in flight mode yeah. they're in adrenaline mode so yeah. they're just coping with the basics of i need to eat i need to sleep i need to i need to go to the toilet yeah. you know i can't think bigger than that sure. you know once you start once it starts you know once they start trying to process everything that's gone on you know mm. god forbid what you know what these what these poor kids but they're, they're, they're you know at least they've got other kids around them that they're, they're supported there's so much love oh my god the polish people and i'm sure it's the same in the other places where people are being welcomed there is they are just being welcomed with such love and such open arms and you know surprisingly once they get across the border and get into poland you know they there is a process what i saw was a very well organized process so i saw a very organized um sequence of what's happened to them once they get into poland they are looked after they are given somewhere to go and i don't know where they go on to um and i obviously haven't seen that side of things but um and also the, the whole distribution of, of stuff that comes there. You know, the operation there is a big operation. It's chomping through food. But all the kids are given a little, if they go onwards, they're given like a little backpack, um, which has got like a, like, a, like a travel kit in it. So it's got like a cuddly toy and it's mm. got a colouring book and it's got, you know, um, a pack of cards or whatever it is. And they're all given one of those, you know. Um, and so, you know, once they get there. But, but what occurred to me, you know, because I went to the border itself and you see this long line of people waiting to come across um, and, and waiting to get on the buses. Now, obviously, I was on the Ukrainian side. I was, once they get onto the Polish side, a bit of queue to be processed on the buses. And, you know, at that point, they give them food and they give them blankets and all sorts of things. Um, but you just think, well, they're leaving Ukraine. They're going through a border crossing. They don't know what's on the other side. They don't know what their life is on the other side. They don't know how they're going to be treated. They don't know if they're going to be 
welcomed. They have no idea. And I just put myself in that situation, and maybe you put yourself yeah. in that situation. You've lost everything. You're going to a border crossing. You don't know what's on the other side. I mean, it just, it just, just put yourself there. I, I mean, know. it's just extraordinary. Listen, well, it's a great thing you're doing, Martin. Are you heading back soon? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, uh, you know, I've got great plans uh, for for because what do I do with this experience that I've had? Um, and so I'm hoping that I'm I'm looking for um, trying to maybe use some of my property experience because obviously people are doing this great thing where they're taking Ukrainians into their home. But I know I know there's loads of um, care homes and hotels yeah. which are like left, um, you know, they're up to sale or they're not used at the moment. And I just thought I'm going to try and uh, start some kind of fund or start some kind of a process to get to get hold of those even short term and and create some you know some some extra housing. Uh, out of places that are actually probably quite well kitted out already yeah. to potentially provide some uh, some extra uh, some extra uh, support and extra places to live for people. Um, so you could do a show called Homes Under the Hammer and Sickle. Yes, I think that's a great idea. What do you think? That's, that's, that's off, off, off the top of your head. You can pay for that one. That's very good. <laughs> Listen, Martin, it's super, superlative to speak to you. I'm glad you're well. Uh, hope you, uh, your journey back is, is fast. Give us a shout when you get back. Okay, look after yourself. Do that. Martin, thank you very much indeed. Martin Roberts from Homes Under the Hammer there, making his own pilgrimage out there to the border between uh, Poland and Ukraine, helping people, bringing real stuff out there that was organised by a Bournemouth charity. So you've got to take your hat off to him. Last week we made him Plank of the Week. This week I think we should salute him for doing what he did. Martin Roberts, well played, well done. Uh, This is Talk Radio. Talk Radio. Across the UK. Online. On DAB. And on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.